This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoyed this message. I want to start with two questions this morning. So first question, how many of you have a favorite song or more than one favorite song? Anyone? Okay, great. I love the enthusiasm. Now my next one, let's see how the enthusiasm will either grow or go down. Who would like to sing us your favorite song? I'll give you the mic. Any volunteer? Trevor, come. Let's give Trevor a hand. Okay, I'm not in tune, but Lighthouse is my favorite. My Lighthouse, my Lighthouse. My, oh, I'm satisfied. Shining like a star, I will follow you. My Lighthouse. Now, I think when it comes to music, there's just a, it, it brightens up our lives, right? It, it's a language, it's a communication tool, and whether we are super musical or not, we have our favorite songs, right? And I always love it. My dad, he always said the last person he wants to get married to is a music person. He calls it a sick means. You bet, I'm a sick means, sir. He's a very sporty guy. He's turning 75 this year. He's always been into sports, quite a cricket fanatic and, you know, umpiring for the, for the, all the, uh, the teams in the garden routes still like two, three years ago. But in any case, and he's completely tone deaf. You know, I, I always, when he sings, I, I look for a note. I listen. It, there must be a note, you know, somewhere, you know, but my dad, it was his worst nightmare getting married to a, 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 mu- a music student. And guess what my mom studied? Music. <laughs> and I asked that for, for God's sense of humor. But he got married to this music student, and she's a very, very faithful, or not faithful, it's like she takes it seriously, you know, her music. She likes, she doesn't only like the normal music, she's into opera and, you know, all those kind of things. So my dad is, I'm convinced he's one of the men on this planet who, who attended more ballets, operas, musicals, um, you know, piano concertos and things like in theater uh, than most men on this planet because he had to learn to appreciate music because this is my mom's love language. And, you know, I actually have so much respect for him because it's not his thing at all. But he learned to appreciate music and their relationship is so interesting. My mom is not a sports person at all, but she watches cricket with him and rugby, you know. They just get into each other's worlds. But I think when it comes to music, it's, it's a whole world, right? It's a whole world of, of, it's, it's a language. And I'm sure all of you have your, well, not all, but some of you have your favorite radio station, you know, because they play the songs you like. Or, you know, when you bry, <clears throat> it's music that you play when you bry. This is your bry music. Or, you know, when you exercise, when you go to the gym, maybe that's not, you know, what they play isn't your kind of music. So you put in your earphones and you do your own music. I'm, I'm sure that the ladies in the, in the house, those of you married, you still remember the song that you played when you walked down the aisle because it was a moment, right? And I'm sure those of you maybe not yet married, you are already thinking about your song, right? <laughs> I was dreaming about my song for a long time because I knew it was going to be a moment. And imagine a bride walking down the aisle without music. You know, it's just not going to be the same. So there's something about music. There's something about this language. It's a, 
it's a communication tool. It's a, it, it brings back memories, right? It releases emotions, and there's so many things around music that is so beautiful. And I think through church history, church has never been without music. There's always music as part of church, no matter the denomination, no matter the, the history or the culture. These songs that's been sung for generations. So we cannot imagine church without worship, right, without music. And as a Shofar family, our times of worship is really important to us. And maybe if you're new to this family, you, you think to yourself, oh, but they worship forever, you know, when are they going to stop singing? Maybe you're used to 15 minutes of worship, or maybe you're used to, <clears throat> um, sorry, you're used to singing a song and then sit down and then singing a song and sit down and you're just not used to 40 minutes, you know, of singing and then repeating lines, you know, repeating the same thing over and over. What on earth is this? And then the next moment, Andre, my husband, is the pastor. He comes and he grabs the mic and he says, no, we need to declare something or shout or, you know, sing in the spirit. And what on earth is that? You know, you just, you, <laughs> you just, maybe if you knew, you think, what, what is this and why? Do we prioritize worship like this? So I want to take you on a journey this morning, <clears throat> if my throat allows me. So please excuse me. Uh, I want to take you on a journey this morning, just explaining why. Why is worship so important to us? And why would we not only sing a song, but why? what is the difference between music and worship? You know, and we really trust the Lord not to only sing a song, not to only make music, but to worship. And not to only worship, but to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And not only to worship in spirit and truth, but to go even beyond that to something I want to talk about this morning called prophetic worship. And it really brings me alive and it really excites me because I know in those moments, it's in those moments that God moves, that He does the unexpected and that you know, those moments where we can't stay the same. So let's talk about worship first. A very simple definition is just to show, uh, definition of worship is just to show adoration or reference to someone. Just reverence, just a, a adoration. And in our context is showing adoration to God, right? That's worship. So let's look at John 4.23, a scripture where Jesus speaks about Worship and he gives us a glimpse of how he sees worship. It says, "For that, but the hour is coming, and now is that the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him." So I just want to highlight a few things. The hour is coming, and now is worship is always a now activity. Why? Because it's not really about the song; it's about our hearts. It's about a connection. It's about, are we connecting with God right now? It's not really about last year or last month or last week that we connected with him. God says, I want to connect now, right now. It's a now activity. Then God is looking for worshipers. Interestingly, he's not looking for worship. You know, if he was looking for worship, we could put on the, the, the song, and then we can go and bond with our Xbox or your, you know, your, your game or your sport or your pet, you know, go and 
take the dog for a walk while God is listening to worship. It's not, it's not worship that God is looking for. He's looking for worshipers. Again, not, not just a song, but he's looking for us, right? This is so beautiful. It's, God is a relational God. He's not looking for us to perform or to do something for him. He's looking for us. So it's all about a now connection with us, right? Then he says, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What does it mean to worship him in truth? We need to come as we are. You know, God is not looking for somebody who will, will sing with their lips, but their heart is far away from him. Again, connection. He's looking for true worshipers who will worship him in truth. It's, it's also not about perfection. It's not about sorting out yourself completely before you can come to God. You just come in truth as you are. You know, with, with all your weaknesses, all your anxieties even, Everything that's bugging you and say, Lord, I want to connect. I want to worship you in truth. Amen. He's looking for somebody who will, who will sing a song and actually think about what we're singing. I think sometimes we're so spoiled in a sense with the most amazing worship. You know, we just go into YouTube and find the, the latest song and the latest artist. And it's all really, really good worship. We are surrounded with a lot of people who are, who are gifted. And we love Jesus, but we can get so familiar, you know, it's playing all the time. And then we, we get so used to it, we don't even think about the lyrics anymore. So also coming in truth is actually just to pause and say, let's think about what we're singing. And then it, it just opens, just to open your eyes and to say, wow, this is what we're actually singing. Worshiping in spirit. And I, I committed my life to Jesus when I was 13 years old. That was my official commitment. And at the age of 16, something happened to me that really, really brought my spirit alive. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a separate event after salvation. And it changed my life because the Holy Spirit got hold of me completely. You know, I was just, I was drenched in the Holy Spirit, if I can put it like that, and my spirit came alive. And when we, when we give our lives to Jesus, there's a measure of the spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit to a certain extent, but when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, everything becomes new. Every, everything becomes alive. So it's, we can never, it's never the one or the other. We need both. We need salvation and we need an infilling with the Holy Spirit, not only once. I think sometimes we think it's a once-off event, but we need to be consistently and constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you do not know what I'm talking about, I want to invite you to our Encounter One seminar we're going to do in a few weeks. We talk about the Holy Spirit. We explain the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's so, it's so necessary for us to worship God in spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And not only once, as I say, but continuously. But it really brought my spirit alive. You know, and I really sensed, you know, that there's some of you, you feel that it's for some people. Like one of the signs or one of the, the gifts that come along when we are filled with the Holy Spirit is God gives us the ability to, to pray in a language that we don't understand, to pray in tongues. And I really feel that some of you know about it or some of you hear about it. This is what Andre means when he come up and he says, let's sing in the spirit. 
It means let's sing in our prayer language. And I just feel that some of you have believed the lie that it's for other people. You know, you're either scared, you're like, oh, goodness, no, let me rather stay away from this. Or you want it, but, you know, it, it, it has never happened. And you just believed a lie that you need to reach a certain maturity level or you need to do something right to, to achieve it. And all you need to, to do is to ask and receive. And I really want to encourage you. If you maybe, if you've been part of this congregation for a while, you're not praying, you haven't received a prayer language from the Holy Spirit, please join us for our next encounter one. It's not only for the elite or the special people. It's for everybody. And there's really something that brings your spirit alive when you start praying in a language that you don't understand, but it's a gift. It brings your worship times alive. It brings your prayer times alive. Your whole walk with the Lord will look different. And I really... I really know that it's something that God wants to give to all of us. This is what, what God is speaking about if he says we need to worship him in spirit. So let's talk about prophetic worship. So prophetic worship is to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing now or in this moment. And then to give voice to it, to, to somehow partner with the Holy Spirit and say, okay, Lord, this is what you're doing. Let's, let's give a voice to it. Let's, Let's give a song or a, uh, let's give something to it that can, you know, that can fill the room and that can change the atmosphere. So I want to take you to a scripture, Matthew 6, verse 9 to 10. This is where Jesus taught his disciples to pray. So he, he said, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What is that? That is worship, right? First of all, we come, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We call. We come with adoration, with worship. Then he says, next thing to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is that? That is the result of prophetic worship. So let me explain that to you. In heaven, in heaven there's no sickness, there's no death, there's no sorrow, there's no pain, there's no tears. If we read in, in Revelation 21 verse 4, there's other scriptures as well that, that gives us a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. We, we, we struggle to understand it because we are so familiar with death, sickness, tears, pain, sorrow, right, on earth. But if Jesus taught his disciples to, to start with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, but they not stop there to say, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Surely there's something happening in heaven. There's an atmosphere or an activity in heaven that we, we need to draw it out. We need to bring it to earth. We need to trust the Lord to, to reproduce something that is currently happening in heaven right here and right now. This is what he has taught his disciples to pray, and this is what he's still asking us to do. And this is what happens in moments of prophetic worship. Literally, heaven comes to earth. Heaven, a little bit of heaven of this atmosphere that is, is difficult for us to understand now, but this is what the Bible talks about. You know, it's a different atmosphere. It's a different, it's just very different to what we know, but it's good. It's good because there's no pain. There's no, there's no tears. There's no crying. There's no sorrow. And we need to press in for those moments where God comes and he manifests himself in our midst and he brings a little bit of heaven right here, right now. 
in our midst. Amen. So I want to I wanna give you a few Old Testament examples of what prophetic worship looks like, of what could happen when we, we don't only make music, but we go from music to worship, to worshiping in spirit and truth, to prophetic worship. Because this is why we worship for 40 minutes in this building, you know, or at, this is why we, we, we start our life groups with worship. This is why in our time of prayer, we don't only pray, we also worship because there's something about going, moving, just crossing that bridge from worship to prophetic worship that opens up the heavens. It opens up an opportunity for God and to come and be God in our midst. And we need that. We really need that. So first of all, let me take you to 2 Kings 3.15. So this is a story of an Old Testament prophet called Elisha. So he was he was a successor of Elijah. So Elijah was this amazing prophet, but Elisha, the Bible says he received a double anointing. So Elisha is a man of God. He hears the voice of God. He's an expert, right? He's the expert when it comes to hearing God's voice and prophesying. But now the king asks him, Elisha, please bring a word for the nation. So this is where we pick up the story. And Elisha said, but now bring me a musician, which is interesting. You know, why does he need a musician to bring a word to the nation? And then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus says the Lord. Interesting. I'm not saying we always need a musician to prophesy. But in this case, he was asking for a musician. And this man knows how to prophesy, right? He he is the man of God. He's the prophet. He can do it without music, I'm sure. But in this situation, he asked for a musician. Which means that in some cases, there is... There's truly an anointing upon an instrument, upon a musician. And I wouldn't even call this person a musician. I would call this person a prophetic worshiper because this person is not only a musician. It's somebody who knows how to connect with a, with a, with a life-giving source, Jesus, and who's able to facilitate something so that the prophet can hear clearly. You know, have you ever thought why would... Why would I come up on stage when, when Andre preaches and he's done? Then I come up or somebody else and we play on the keyboard. Why would we do that? Maybe you're not familiar with that. This is to facilitate exactly something like this. You know? Where Elijah said, bring me a musician. Because we believe there's, there's an anointing upon prophetic worship that can release the now word, the now moment for God to come. So this is why we do this. This is why we place a high emphasis on worship, where we give space, we give time. Sometimes people take the mic who is not in the worship team and they bring a word or they bring a song and we want to make space for that because that it's in those moments that God really moves and he gives us direction. I mean, all of us need direction, right? We need direction. We need, sometimes there's a crossroad and we need direction and we need God to speak. And then in those moments, we need the prophetic. And worship plays a huge role often in those moments. So second thing that can happen in in prophetic worship, it can change us from the inside out. So let me give you another example. 1 Samuel 10, verse 5 to 6. So Samuel anointed uh, the very first king of Israel. The very first king's name was Saul. 
at that stage when he was anointed, God really had to still do a work in him to be a honorable king, to be the king that God wanted him to be. And Samuel wanted him to go to a specific environment so that God can do a work in him. So let's pick up the story there, 1 Samuel 10, verse 5 to 6. He's speaking to King Saul. He says, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from a high place with a, with a string instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp, and they will be prophesying. And then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, King Saul, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. How interesting is this? So I believe that God knew that at that stage when Saul was anointed, he still needed to be changed into somebody who could lead the nation well. And he he guided Samuel to to tell Saul, look, you need to go to that specific place. You're going to meet a group of musicians, but they're not only musicians. They're prophetic worshipers. They're going to prophesy on their instruments, and then you're also going to start prophesying, and then you're going to change into somebody more like Jesus. And this is what could happen. You know, we can, we can walk in here on a Sunday feeling a certain way, acting a certain way, and then encounter moments of worship, encounter moments where it's not only us singing to God in adoration, but it's God meeting us, and then we change. This is the potential. This is why we do not only sing for 15 minutes, because we need to give God room. We need to give him the opportunity to change us. Amen. There's so many stories, actually, of people coming to church, not only our church, but many churches, and this changed during worship. Nobody prayed for them. Nobody, nobody prophesied even over them. But during a time of worship, something happened in them. Something happened, and they are oh, changed. You know, I don't know if some of you have ever had the experience during worship that you would just start crying, and you have no idea why, but there's just something in you that's happening. And when you leave, you are different. You feel different. And that is the Spirit of God working, and we need more moments like that. Amen? Third thing that can happen during a time of, of prophetic worship, it, it can make distressing spirits flee. So let's call it fear or anxiety or depression or hopelessness or, or uh, anything that you feel that's tormenting you, that's weighing you down. So uh, back to King Saul. So he was changed into another man, but... There, was ma- there were many things in him that was not really committedly following God, right? So there was a stage in his life when his heart started turning away from the Lord. And it opened a door for it. The Bible calls it a distressing spirit to torment him. So in, in just, uh, 1 Samuel 16, so his servants actually said to him, Saul, you need to get a musician, uh, and he needs to, he or she needs to play, and then this thing will flee. It's very, very interesting advice and good advice because they, they got who? David's, right? They said, no, they heard about this boy who plays the harp. And, and Saul said, but let's get him, you know? And they found David, they brought him to the palace, and he, whenever he played, this thing, whatever it was, is a stressing spirit would depart from Saul and he would be refreshed. He would feel like a different person.
person. This is so powerful because that means that in times of worship, you know, there can, there can be certain things that's distressing, you know, in our lives, in our hearts. Maybe nobody knows about it, but you feel it's there. In a time of worship, those things could potentially just leave the room and leave your heart because in the presence of God, they cannot stay. They cannot stay, you know. So it's so powerful. We can be changed into another person. We can experience freedom and deliverance. Without anybody praying for you in a time of prophetic worship, you can feel lighter. You can feel as if, oh, I can breathe again. You know, there's just so much opportunity for God to come and be God in our midst. 2 Chronicles 5, verse 13 to 14. Listen to this one. It can, prophetic worship can draw the supernatural presence of God. So when they lifted up their voice with trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praise the Lord, saying, for his good, his mercy endures forever. That the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. A cloud. So that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Imagine that. Imagine a cloud coming during our times of worship and filling this building. Wow, I would love to see that. I would love to see God move and we just now need to stop, to stop our, our plans and our program. It wouldn't be easy, I suppose. But if they say that the priests, they couldn't continue. They just couldn't continue because the glory of the Lord filled the house. I mean, this is, this is why we worship for longer than 15 minutes. Because ultimately, this is our desire. And I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen a glory cloud filling this house so that we need to stop everything, but I would love to see it. You know, I would love to see God come. And, and let me tell you, we might, might be uncomfortable because nobody knows what it looks like. And we might feel a little bit, you know, out of our depth. And we might, you know, we wouldn't necessarily know what's going to happen next. This is, this is what happens when God shows up. We all want him to show up, but sometimes when he does, we, we don't know what to do. But imagine, imagine a cloud of glory. We cannot leave the same. You know, we cannot come to church and then go home and just continue with our lives if there was a cloud in the, in the room. And this is, like I say, why we pursue these moments of more of God, because we cannot just settle for music. We, we can't because we've tasted, you see, we've tasted little bits of these things, but we, we, we desire more. We desire more because we know that sometimes we, we, we get stuck. We get stuck in life, in our marriages, in our work, in our finances. And then we need Jesus to show up. Amen. We need him to show up. Sometimes we battle the sickness or, or mentally, physically, and we are stuck. Our medication is not helping us. Or we, we're just in a dead end and we need Jesus to show up. You know? And then... This is why we, we just press in for more. This is why Andre would take the mic during worship and say, we're now going to sing in the spirit. We're now going to proclaim something. He's not doing it for himself. He's doing it to facilitate a moment where God can come and set us free. Amen. First thing that can happen, you know, prophetic worship can lead to unexplainable miracles and victories. So again, Old Testament, there was this battle where three nations was coming up against Judah. 
So at that stage, the king of Judah was Jehoshaphat. And some of you might know the story, but he was really, really stressed. And they prayed and they fasted. They really sought the Lord for a solution because it was a hopeless situation. There was no, no, no chance for them to win this battle in the natural. Then the word of the Lord came that they must put the worshippers before the army. You know, in front of the army, the worshipers must go first. Now, let me tell you, that is the Sunday when you're really thankful you're not on the worship roster. <laughs> or if you want to swap out, you can't find anyone. <laughs> but, I mean, picture this. It's not a metaphor. It's not a, it was a real life battle. It's not a story. Now, I mean, people, you can get killed. Okay, you know, you're in the front, you're the worship, you're, the, you're not the, you're not the soldier. You're the, you know, you're the guitarist or you play your violin. And, you know, there's this army coming. You know, I just picture this and I think, it's that must have been quite something to, to see. You know, and I think the, the worship team must have had their own discussions. You know, was this really the Lord? And shouldn't we have at least 10 confirmations or 100 confirmations? You know, they're putting us here in danger. You know, I can just imagine. But the, the end result of that story was that there was an unexplainable miracle because what happened is those three nations just started fighting it it was complete chaos some people actually believed that there were angelic um there were angels fighting on behalf of of god's nation and i i really firmly believe that as well because it doesn't make sense in the natural that three armies coming against one now start fighting against each other i mean how does that make sense so i really believe that god allowed angel armies to fight on behalf of his children you know and and in that moment then the natural sources and solutions would not have worked and sometimes we get stuck people sometimes we really need a miracle we need a miracle, and this is why we pursue moments of prophetic worship because it can facilitate an unexplainable miracle. I mean, the, the, let, me, let me just read you the scripture, 2 Chronicles 2.22. Now, when they began to sing, that was the moment. When they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Monsia, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. When they began to sing and praise... It's not just music. It's not just even just a worship song of adoration. There's something more to it, right? There's something that was released when those people started singing. And God intervened. God intervened on behalf of a whole nation. And this is what is available to us. This is why I say that prophetic worship brings heaven to earth. Something about heaven, it cannot always be explained. I mean, how do you explain a glory cloud? How do you explain this, this victory, this battle? But this is the God that we serve. But this is why we need to pursue it. And I want to make it very practical now because ultimately we need to position ourselves in moments where we can experience this, right? I mean, if it's out there, far away from us, it's not really going to help us that much. So, First of all, we need to be present. We need to actually be present to encounter these moments. I believe these prophetic moments all the time around us. This in, and in church, I believe these prophetic worship moments all the time. But we can miss it. We could actually miss it. If you arrive, you're half asleep. 
you know, you must still wake up. Maybe you guys are all awake, okay? Second service, 10 o'clock, I really hope. Really hope. Maybe if you come to the 8 o'clock service, you're still waking up. But if you're only going to be awake by the fourth song, you might have missed three prophetic moments, right? We need to be present, and I'm challenging myself on this, you know. It's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to be familiar. Oh, you know that song, you've done it before. You know, and, and also what I, what I want to, what I want to tell you today is sometimes we look for that uh, spontaneous song where the breath of God can be on a rehearsed song. And, you know, sometimes we, we think the prophetic is only the spontaneous and it's only the, oh, I heard it three seconds ago and now I'm, I'm singing it out. No, it could be a song that's been picked by the worship leader. It's been planned and God knew that that song going to be the song where he's going to breathe on for that Sunday. So even a song that you've done so many times before, there can be a, a prophetic moment on it because it's about the spirit of God. It's not about the spontaneity necessarily. It's not only about <clears throat> something that's brand new or unrehearsed. It could be something where God breathes on it and it becomes this prophetic moment. I mean, so we need to be present. We need to be present. We need to, to hear it even when there's no singing. You know, we can prophesy on our instruments. I know many of you knew that, but there can be a prophetic moment with no lyrics, no singing. Let me read to you another scripture, 1 Chronicles 25. Moreover, David and the captains of the army separated for the service, some of the sons of Asaph, of Heman, and of Judas, and who should prophesy with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals. So they actually prophesied on their instruments. How awesome is that? So you can prophesy on drums, eh? I believe there's a lot of prophetic moments on drums in our church. I believe there's, there's a lot of prophetic moments just on instruments that we can either pay attention to, or we can miss it. You know, God can have a message just for you. He can speak to your spirit. He can speak to your heart. He can set you free. He can, he can do something in you. And maybe nobody, nobody was singing. It was just an instrumental part, and there was an anointing on that moment. So we can easily miss it. So if we are not present, if we are not present, we can, we can come and we can go home and think there was no prophetic moment, but in the meantime, there was. So I want to encourage us as a congregation to come ready. Say, Lord, I need your intervention today. I need more than worship. I need more than a good cup of coffee. I need more than a hug. I need breakthrough. I need healing. I need deliverance to come with that expectation. Amen. Not to come casually and say, oh, let's see what happens. But to come and say, Lord, you know, in, in that war with Jehoshaphat, it was life or death. Right? In the, in the, and in, in that time of worship, it was either they're going to get killed or God's going to do a miracle, literally. So I think sometimes we, we, we can be too casual on a Sunday. We, we walk in here and we, can, we actually need the Lord, but we do not come as prepared, you know, as we should. And I want to encourage us, let's come, even, even if it's not for yourself. Maybe you're not stuck. Maybe you're in a good season, but your friend is or a family member is and they need Jesus. 
And if we are present, if we say, Lord, move, I'm expecting you to move today. If we are wide awake and attentive, we will pick it up. We will pick it up. You know, the second thing we need to do if we, we want to encounter these moments is we need to make room for God. Let me show you another beautiful story in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 4, verse 9 to 10. So there, there was this woman, Shunammite woman. She noticed that the prophet Elisha was walking past the house regularly. And every now and again, she would invite him in and give him food and, you know, just take care of him. But then at a stage, she, she said to her husband, listen to this. She said to her husband, look now, I know this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. This is why I say these moments happen regularly, all the time. So speaking to her husband, please let us make a small upper room on the wall. And let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. How beautiful is that? She noticed that the prophet passes by regularly. But then she didn't just let him pass by. She said to her husband, Let's make a room for him. Let's build a place. Let's, then he can come whenever, whenever he passes by this room for him. How beautiful is that? This is what we need to do in our hearts, in our families, in our businesses. We need to make room for the prophetic. We need to make room for God to come and dwell with us. Not every now and again and, you know, not casually, but let's be intentional. Let's build a room for God in our, in our, let's put him in our calendar. You know, let's make time for the Lord. It's just so easy, you know, to let a whole day go by or a week and we haven't made room for God. You know, it's so easy to be distracted with our cell phones and our programs and our routines. I'm speaking to myself. You know, it's just so easy to be distracted, so full of to-dos that we need to tick, you know, and where is the time for God? You know, where is the, the room where we close the door and we say, God, you're welcome. You are welcome. You are, this is your space. This is your time. I'm shutting out all voices, all distractions. I'm switching off my phone. This is your room that I'm building for you, God. And if you don't know where to start, just start with worship, Right? Just start with adoring and praising God, and he will come. He will come. It will change from a moment of worship where you sing to God and you praise him to a moment where he comes and ministers to us. This is how it works. We can always start with worship because God inhabits the praises of his people. Amen. So put put time aside for the Lord. Make room for him. Let's build a room like the Shunammite woman. Let's put a bed there and a lampstand. Let's make room and whenever there's this moment, we're ready. Amen. To receive God. Then the third way of how we can encounter God is to actually just be ready. You know, there's some moments in, in church when I'm not in the worship team, but I feel there's something more. I just feel, you know, we need to, we need to press in for more. And then some of you would have seen that I come up and then I grab the tambourine. <laughs> And those moments are never planned. You know, it's, it's never planned. I just feel that there's more. And I, again, I don't do it for myself. I do it because I, I know. 
I know, God, this is a moment. I, I must be ready. I must grab hold of this moment. And for me, there's something really prophetically victorious about a tambourine, right? It, there's just something, you know, there's a scripture in the Old Testament. Again, I'm focusing a lot on the Old Testament, but this is where there's so many examples. In the Old Testament foundation, eh? Praise God that somebody wrote down those stories. Praise God for somebody diligent. You know, I just honor them. And I want to I wanna encourage you, write down what God says to you. Because it could so easily be lost. But there's this, this um, account after the Israelites went through the Red Sea. You know, this was this massive crisis because the Egyptians were coming. And then God opened the Red Sea and they got through. And, you know, it was this moment. And then it says that after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, Moses' sister, Miriam, they say that she was a prophetess. There was a prophetic anointing upon her life. She led the woman with a tambourine in a prophetic victory dance. There was something about a tambourine. I don't know. Maybe they didn't have all these instruments we have today. I mean, imagine carrying this keyboard in the wilderness. I don't think it was going to work. I suppose a tambourine was easier. But there's, there's really something about a tambourine that is just so powerful. It is so, it is just so, there's, there's, it's a victory sound. Hey, it's a, just a victory, victory sound. And if we are hesitant, something like this would never happen. If we, if we don't, oh, you know, I don't know where the tambourine is because sometimes I really don't know. I need to look for the thing. I said to Vian the other day, my son, I said to him, I think I'm going to buy a tambourine and put it in my hand back. <laughs> then I'm ready, you know, because I want to be ready for these moments. And for me, adding a tambourine to a, to a moment is just, like I say, prophetically victorious about that because it, it facilitates something. I cannot explain it. I cannot you know, figure it out, but I just know that there's something happening. And then I can't, I can't let this moment pass. I need to take you guys with me and we need to do something, even if we do not know exactly what we are doing, but we need to lift our voices and we need to make use of this moment. Amen. You know, there's this, let me tell you a funny story about a tambourine. Uh, we were at a show for Franschuk years ago, many years ago. I was leading worship and Andre was preaching and we didn't have a drummer that day. And Andre, for some reason, thought it's a good idea to grab the tambourine. Now, it's actually not so easy to play it. I don't know if any one of you have ever tried to, all these little eggs that you play, these little shakers, like it's actually really, I mean, I won't touch an egg because it's actually really difficult. And it looks like this, I mean, really great one, you know, instrument. <laughs> now, Andre grabs the tambourine during worship, but we didn't practice with him. He was obviously trying to help the band. And something wasn't working, you know. We, I was on this side of the stage. He was on that side of the stage. And I was trying to get his attention to say, just, you know, fade it out. <laughs> just, and... You know, with a tambourine, you can't really fade it. You know, it's like the sharp sound. It's, you're either playing it or you're not playing it. You know, no, yeah, Andre and I still laugh at that day. So he was, he was just fading it out, like putting it down, you know, trying to be invisible. It was so obvious that, you know, something wasn't working. But in any case, a tambourine's either working or it's not working. So if you ever want to play in church, Practice at home first, okay? I'll audition you. I'll audition you on the tambourine. But 
Prophetic moments needs to be pursuits. We need to ask God for it, you know, and we need to grow. If we are musicians, it can so, <clears throat> it can so easily be that we, we look for the spontaneous moments and then we don't prepare or we don't practice. We think, oh, the prophetic moments are the, the glorious moments so we don't have to prepare at all. So I always say that we plan and we practice and we prepare and then we are flexible, right, for those moments. Because planning and preparing, it's so important. It's actually so important to know your instruments. Because the more comfortable we are on our instruments, the easier it is for a prophetic moment to come. But also we can be so so focused on our planning and so focused on our set list and so focused on what we have prepared that we prepare God out of the picture, right? So we really, as a church, we trust the Lord for both. Because like I said, the Spirit of God can be on a rehearsed song. It can be on a song that you've practiced at home. It's not necessarily a spontaneous song that has come five seconds ago. It can be something that you have practiced. And that is why I say it's so easy to miss it. It's so easy. We can just think, oh, I've done this song so many times. But meantime, the Spirit of the Lord is on it. And we can miss it. So we need to grow. We need to grow in our skills if we are a musician. If you're not a musician, you need to grow in your confidence and your boldness to pursue a prophetic moment, to to speak it out, to sing it out. You know, and I know in church there's not always, I mean, I would love to give all of you the mic. But it's just not practical, right, on a Sunday morning with a limited time. But we have life groups. We have prayer meetings where, where there's less people, where God can use you powerfully. And I want to encourage you. Sometimes we have a word, but sometimes something needs to be sung out. You know, you need to sing out something. And you need other people to join you. You know, and sometimes there's just this moment where we need to risk it. You don't know what it's going to look like. And maybe musically, it's not going to sound so awesome. But so what? You know, if it's a small group of people, and if it's people where you feel safe with, I mean, sometimes we just need to step out and and do something so that we can make room for God. Amen. So prophetic worship brings heaven to earth. And we need that. Like I said, we get stuck. We often get stuck in our, in our finances or our marriage or our, our work situation. We get stuck with our health. And we need those heavenly moments. You know, and even like I said, maybe you're not stuck, but a friend is or a family member. We're not always fighting for ourselves. We sometimes fight for our brother or our sister for breakthrough. But we need more of God in our midst, church. We really do. You know, we... We can't just sing songs. We can't just go through the motions. This is why Andre is always ready. My husband, who's the pastor of this church, for those of you new, he is always ready for God to move. And he's always going to challenge us. And he's always going to, you know, going to grab hold of an opportunity for the sake of freedom and for the sake of wholeness and for the sake of those heavenly moments to come. Because he knows He knows this is what we need as a church, as a community, as a city. We need those moments. I want to encourage you. Let's make room for God. Amen. In our personal lives, in our families, in our businesses, in our schools. You know, maybe you, maybe you're teaching at a school. Maybe you can go earlier. Maybe you can 
go earlier to your workplace and put on worship music and start changing the atmosphere. You know, maybe you are a teacher, you have an extremely difficult class to handle. And you feel you're going crazy and you actually just want to resign. Maybe God is saying, no, let heaven come to your classroom. You know, change the atmosphere. Trust me for those moments. And if you don't know where to start, just start with worship. Just put, take, take a speaker or take your phone or take something and just play worship music in an atmosphere that is challenging. Find a friend and say, Lord, we need breakthrough. We need your presence. We need something more than our natural solutions, right? So let's make room for God, people. Let's, let's invite him in. Let's make time for him. Let's be ready. Let's be present. Amen. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.